first 20 days, we were basically just defending the compound. There were no way we could get outside and patrol. We had no vehicles. We're just purely defending this big compound right in the center of Sangen, the district center. So I thought, I'm going to record this purely for me. Over time, I started to add more thoughts and feelings to it. And that evolved into this journal of just thoughts and feelings of the place, how I felt, the scenery. I thought this is really sur surreal, being attacked in this beautiful environment, always on edge, always alert. I thought, I'm going to lock it down. And then just evolved into dispelling all these emotions and feelings. My name is Kerry Kite. I'm an Air Force veteran and a writer, filmmaker, and entrepreneur. Day to day, I produce advertising content for a creative agency in New York City. Through this podcast, I'm turning my passion into practice. I separated from the Air Force in 2010, and since that time, through using the post-9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian, and that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists, and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 39 features Neville Johnson, a South African veteran of the British Army and an author and poet whose first collection was published by Dead Reckoning Collective this spring. He's also a high school leadership teacher in New Zealand. We talked about stepping into the unknown. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. Neville, good morning for both of us. It's morning uh, for me today and morning for you tomorrow, I guess. Is that right? Is that how the New Zealand to East, Eastern Standard works? That's correct. Yeah. It's Thursday morning, just after four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it is. And it's it's uh, Wednesday morning, uh, just after just after 10 a.m. here. So appreciate the uh, appreciate you um, working with me on, on timing here. No worries. All good, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm also especially excited to have you, the first uh, non-American service member uh, to come on this podcast, which I'm really excited about. Uh, it's something that I've, from the beginning, actually have wanted to, to make sure that that uh, I'm having conversations with a wide array of folks with um, with different experiences but similar experiences. Uh, you know, participating in the GWAT, and so I'm genuinely curious to hear about, you know, your experiences um, uh, there. And uh, so I'm I'm excited to to have you on. For that reason, as well as uh, our, our connection through through Dead Reckoning Collective, where we've been in some courses together, we've been on some Zooms together, we're in a couple of group chats on Instagram together. So uh, it's always exciting to bring to bring um, you know community together and to to do it in a in a in an official capacity by recording a conversation. So thanks. No, for sure. Thank you for having me. I really um, appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you, um, if, if you could just give us a primer on, on kind of who you are, uh, where and when you served, just so that we have a, a bit of a foundation and, and then I'll, uh, we'll, we'll jump in from there. No, for sure. Um, to make a long story short, born and raised in South Africa, I left the country, was in 2000, went over to the UK, purely to go and travel um, and just go explore, you know, Europe and the world and all that. Um, and then end up joining the British Army was in 2003, purely because I wanted to stay a bit longer in the country, um, illegally. And someone told me, join the, the British police force, that didn't work out because they don't really help you with your 
um, immigration status. And um, I always wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps to be a police officer like like he was. And um, so someone, a friend of mine mentioned, go and join the British Army. You know, you sign a contract for four years. You're with them. You can travel, see the world. And I thought, that doesn't sound too bad, you know. Um, I could do something like that. Join up 2003, end up uh, being posted to Northern Ireland uh, in Belfast. I was there for two years. During that time, in um, during my seven years, um, I've deployed to Northern Ireland, Iraq twice in, in the southern Basra area, and um, deployed to Afghanistan in Sangin in 2007. And then um, left, the, um, left the army and then um, transitioned over to private security, which I thoroughly enjoyed and did that for a short while. Um, left that and then end up in New Zealand, um, purely because I met my wife, um, my then fiance. Um, it was in, the, in my last year in in the army um, in the UK because she she's from New Zealand. She went over to the UK to do the usual ticket tour of work and, and travel and all that. But that's where I met her. And it was at that stage in Baghdad that we we decided, you know, I should finish up with the um with the private security and make New Zealand um, our home. Very cool. For those that don't know, uh, including myself, you've you've given me a, a bit of a background before, but I, I don't quite exactly understand. Can you explain how the how it works to to enlist in the British Army by being is is was uh, like the, and how citizenship works and like the Commonwealth and all that stuff? Like, can, can you explain just so that just so that folks understand why? why uh, someone who lives in New Zealand was born and raised in South Africa, but enlisted in the British um, Air Force. Could you just kind of give us a primer on, on how that worked? Sure. Um, with Because Africa um, is part of the, and the Commonwealth, that was the reason why they, they um, allow anyone to, to join. So even if you've got a South African passport, a passport you're from Zimbabwe or Jamaica, because that's part of the Commonwealth, uh, you can then join do basic training go and you know join the defense force whether it be army air force or navy um and during that time you need to qualify for i think it's five years full-time in the in the country um, but because you're part of the british army it's irrelevant if you stationed abroad if you stationed in cyprus stationed in, in belfast it's still that five-year um period that um you have to have then you can apply for citizenship then you can apply for a British passport and that's what I what I did back then um I qualified to apply for a British passport I thought it would be um the right way and apply for the British passport got it but it was near the my last year in an army that I met obviously my wife and I um decided to make New Zealand but purely because South Africa is part of the Commonwealth and and then they would allow but you still have to do basic training. You still have to pass that. You still have to go through all the training and, and um, go to a unit once you've passed training and then do your time, so to speak. So did you enlist from South Africa and then obviously travel to England to do basic training and, and, and your follow-on training? Or do no, they have no. they have places where you can do basic training in whatever country you're, you're, you're from or living in? No, I um, no, don't. I know within Jamaica, they've got recruitment offices um uh i said jamaica or um fiji i think probably fiji they've got recruiters there that would recruit directly from fiji tell them what to do what paperwork to fill in and then they can go across 
But for us South Africans, no. For me, I left South Africa purely to go and travel and see the world. That was my main objective, to travel, see the world, and eventually end up in America, um, which I never did. And in order to stay belong in the country, I thought, um, what can I do? Can I? Um, what means can I approach? What legal way can I approach of staying in the country legally? And I always wanted to uh, follow my dad's footsteps of becoming a police officer. So I thought, it's roughly the same. It's about the same. You see, you know, you you in uniform. Um, it's something I could do. And it was during the, I think, in 2003 was during the invasion of Iraq that I, um, all these images on on the TV of the British troops going across the border. They in uh, in Basra, and it was during that time I thought, well, I could do that. You know, there was an instant. There was a, a connection. I thought I could do that. You know, that's you know a duty, a, a sense of purpose. I can go, go for. But yeah, there were no, um, we had no officers in South Africa, and it was at that stage I thought, I want to do that. You know, if I can't be a police officer, I'm going to join the British Army, the infantry. Very cool. Um, uh, where, where was your father a, pol a police officer? Was that in South Africa? Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, and he was civilian, like civilian police, not military police. Civilian police, yeah. Civilian police. Okay. Yeah. Um. Very cool. So. It, um, in terms of, um, I'm, I'm curious. I want to I want to kind of dive right right into the the writing. So um, obviously, you just you've just published uh, with with Dead Reckoning Collective, um, saying in then and now. Uh, got the T-shirt on too. Uh, repping great. repping repping today for you, and <laughs> uh, and for Keith, Keith and Tyler. Um, and so I want I want to kind of dive right into to, to writing because that that's how you and I've gotten to know each other. Uh, is is through writing and reading and and discussion um, along along those lines. And so for me, I obviously don't know you as not a writer, as not a reader, as not somebody who who kind of talks about those things um, a lot. So I'm curious when the writing started for you uh, th throughout that process of everything you were describing. Like, was it something that you were, hey, I'm going to go travel the world, and were you you know journaling along the way and like really thinking as as a writer at that time, or is it something that kind of grew? out of your experiences uh, through travel and service? I would say it was on my tour to Afghan in Sangin. Uh, that's at that stage that I kept the journal. Again, it was purely to record the amount of time we got attacked. Um, just the, the sheer volley of attacks on a, on a daily basis, you know? So I thought I want to keep record of um, the time, duration, caliber, um, anyone injured, um, any death. So I thought I'm going to keep a record. And with that time in Sangin, as you might be aware, with military personnel, you're stationed somewhere, there's nothing else to do. We had no proper gym. There was a homemade gym, but the last th the thing that I wanted to go and do was train. So it's either you eat, sleep, or you're on, on guard duty. Because the first 20 days, we were basically just defending the compound. There were no way we could get outside and patrol. You know, um, we had no vehicles. It was just purely defending this big compound right in the center of um, Sangin, the district center. And um, so I thought, I'm going to record this purely for me. And over time, I started to add more, say, thoughts and feelings to it. And that evolved into this journal of just thoughts and feelings of, the place, how how I felt, um, the scenery, because at that stage we were based in Sangin at a beautiful Sangin River uh, flowing past. And I thought this is really so, um, 
surreal being attacked in this beautiful environment, you know, and you're always on edge, you're always alert. And I thought, I'm going to lock it down. And then just evolved into dispelling all these emotions and feelings. And I kept that journal afterwards and I, with my medals in a shoebox and that was it. And I, and I left it in that physical shoebox. It wasn't until 2008 and 2019 that I, I went back to it and I thought I'm going to read it. And then because at that stage it was, it was in 2019 that, um, the Drinking Collective um, put out an ad for um, uh, veterans to submit more poetry for the second anthology. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write three poems, submit that. But then I thought, something happened here. I want to write more. It was instant connection, instant release of me wanting to spill more. And then I went looking for that journal. And that's how it all um, started. What was the impetus for for starting the journal? I know that you said that you wanted to record um, mm. these things that were happening, but where did that thought come from? Is it something that you had um, had done previously in life, like, or, or is it just did it just kind of pop into your head, like, hey, I I, sh I should record this? Um, I think as a child growing up, you know, I loved reading all that, but I never had the confidence to put things on paper, and I never had the the confidence to to go and talk about things, you know. So I thought, um, for me, it's it's a way of a it's a release to put something instead of talking to someone and instead of saying to a friend of mine, because back then it's not something that you would talk about. You won't talk about your feelings. You won't mention, oh, it's a beautiful river. It's a beautiful sunset. You know, they would rather want to talk about the context, about the bombs, about the bullets. You know, that's the thing that you want to talk about. Um, it wasn't uh, something that blokes back then would talk about, you know, in during a firefight or or during a contact, you know. So I just thought I just keep it to myself. It's a release. It's it's an instant connection to put it on paper to 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 write about that, you know. What kind of things did you read as a kid? Um fiction, non-fiction. Um because my dad served in the in the police force, um I came across a few books about um that veterans wrote about their time during the South African border war. Um Stories, I would say a lot of um, fiction stuff, stories where I could, almost like Harry Potter, where my, my I could just escape to and, and and get away from, you know, um, I would say. Yeah. Um, so uh, you bring up an interesting, an interesting thing that actually just took me back to my, so I was, I was a little luckier, right? I was, I was stationed at Bagram uh, airfield when I was mm. in Afghanistan. I went twice. Um, so we had a gym, <laughs> right? We had the chow hall. We had all that good stuff. Um, um, but uh, just, just, you just took me back to uh, like a couple of conversations that I'm now like remembering vividly in real time uh, when we were at end of runway at the revetments sunset or, or sunrise, like looking up at those yeah. mountains and, and having those conversations with the guys that I was working with and, talking about those things. And it's an interesting connection to think about because we always thought about, um, you know, we had a commander uh, who would tell the, all the flight line personnel and I, I loaded bombs on F-15s uh, on E-models. So we loaded, you know, missiles, bombs, gun ammo and all that hmm. stuff. Um, and so either providing, you know, close air support or uh, or kind of reconnaissance through the avionics um, on, on the jet, right? And so we had a commander who would always say, uh, and what was cool about my job actually is that I was, though I was flight line personnel and I was, you know, support personnel, I was attached to the fighter squadron. So our commander 
uh, of the fighter of the squadron that I was with was was a pilot, and so um, he he would fly sorties on on these deployments, um, and and he would always say, just remember that we're doing this for the guys in the mountains, um, and and so that was that was kind of like always the mantra that was going around the flight line, and so yeah. it's just kind of a a fascinating moment to think about, like you know I don't know when you were there when I was there, it pro- probably wasn't you you know, with troops in contact and, and me, you know, arming those bombs at that time. But I was thinking about the sunrises and the sunsets and the mountains and all these things yeah. um, as we were, you know, executing our support for for folks like you. So it's kind of an, uh, an interesting, um, I don't know, something that's kind of funny. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, I mean, you in the environment where there's someone out there trying to kill you and you're trying to, to do the same, you know, you, you were given a, a a mission, you were given a an order to go and execute, um, this um the task and <clears throat> at the same time you in this beautiful mountains or the river it's it was surreal it's a weird feeling and then afterwards when the adrenaline went out um i think that's when i, I would then put my thoughts and feelings to paper but i will always keep it to myself and yeah. i think that was that was the right moment the, the right thing i think it was it was meant to be for me to to have that journal and and put all these thoughts feelings on it but i was very reluctant to to show it i was very reluctant to to talk about it you know i kept it to myself i kept it in the physical body shoebox hidden away and it wasn't until again 2019 that i thought heck i remember that i've got that that journal and i'm going to look at it, i'm going to read at it you know and it, it was difficult to read it, it was difficult to go back into that um into that character to read what it was like the fact that we got attacked so many times and it was always on edge um but that was the highlight of my military career that was that was why i joined is to go in and 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 have a have a sense of purpose you know be with your your brothers in arms yeah um so curious how how um how finished were the thoughts in that journal as poems and how much work went into taking the journal and and turning them into into these poems well there was a few that um i think for the um for me it was um, i believe it was it was poetry but it um it took a while to to take those words emotions thoughts and feelings and then to form it into um proper poems you know uh, or poetry um it took a, a lot of work, but it was because of that that were that 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 I've you know I've got the book I've I've got the uh, the poetry in there. But yeah, it it took a while. What um what's so in t- two thousand nineteen? What was the um the poem that made it into War and After in this collection too? I think this one in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So what was that process like working with? With Keith and Tyler on on war and after, like as you as you looked at your journal uh, and and you you remembered it and you thought, okay, yeah, maybe I could submit something there. What was the process you went through to choose which you know which one or 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 however many that you had in that in that collection? Like, what was the thought process for you to pull from from your journal and say, yeah, these are the ones that I want to that I want to submit? Well, I think there was three that I submitted. And then I thought at the time, yeah, I'm happy with it. Um, but it took me a while to actually just click and send it. And I, I I had it all good to go in the email. And it took me a week to actually just click send. 
Um, so it was three that I submitted and then two eventually made it into the second anthology. But I think um, two of them or one of them that's in, in, my, in my book changed somewhat. It was with the help of Keith, you know, that he sat with me and he went through um, the manuscript, you know. But I would say um, quite a fair bit changed, but the um, the main idea was 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 still there you know but yeah it was a it was a few a few phrase a, a few stanzas and a, a few sort of um titles that, that that we had to change so you mentioned having some hesitance or maybe even fear to share those thoughts and feelings at the time right as your observations so you wrote them down instead um and then you said it was difficult to to pull the journal back out and look at them. And then you just mentioned that it took you a week to hit send. Could you yeah. talk a little bit about, um, uh, unpack those feelings a little bit and then what was it that ultimately made you hit send and gave you the confidence to start to do this work to refine these, build them and put them into, you know, into the anthology collections. And then, then I want to get into the work that you did. Keith edit this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith, then I want to. I would definitely want to get into into that. But but first, can you talk a little bit about that that kind of fear and hesitance, and like what was it that ultimately made you hit send, and and what gave you the uh, ability to build the confidence to to put yourself and your work out there? I would say it was purely me being inside my comfort zone, not wanting to step outside, not wanting to grow, um, afraid of the unknown, afraid what people might say, or afraid to actually acknowledge something is wrong, or actually go and fix it, or to look at it, you know, and and it felt better to look the other way. It felt better to stay inside my comfort zone and just be quiet and just do my own thing and, and pick the easy route, you know, and I deal with, with things because I always knew that that I would deal with something, not sure what it was or when or where or, or how, but I knew that I will eventually have, would have to deal with, with issues. And I thought by just keeping to myself, being the gray man, being nice and quiet, not talk about it it's it felt that it was the better the better route the better way uh, but it wasn't and something occurred something happened i think again was meant to be they came across the the ad or the post and i thought hang on it's 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 poetry felt easier but not easy but it felt there was better connection than having to submit something in fiction non non-fiction or memoir just poetry for whatever reason connected um at that time because at that time it was um i came across the work of other veterans uh, american veterans um it was leo jenkins um justin egan i came across some work by by keith and, and, and by tyler and again there was this instant connection and i thought i can do this but i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it for a while again i was very hesitant and it took me a while, and I thought, okay, I'm going to click send. Nothing's going to happen, you know. Um, and and I've, I've I've gone through endless hours of trying to check the grammar, check the spelling, seeing if if this is acceptable, you know. So I thought, well, it's it's not up to me. Once I click send, that's gone. But it took me a while to to gain that confidence. To gain, it took me a long while to to actually physically click send. But I thought, if I did, they won't pick it. Nothing's going to happen. And but it did, but then it came back that they've accepted uh, um, two um, uh, two poems that would eventually go in and be published in, in the second anthology. My dad used to always say something to me as a kid um, that 
stuck with me that used to really piss me off when I was younger. And then as I got older and started to experience life as an adult and going to war and then coming back and getting married and becoming a father, um, he used to say, do not equate the delay of consequences with the absence of consequences. And it's kind of like another way of saying you're going to pay the piper, right? Um, that old, that kind of old folk, uh, folk, folk tale. Um, and I heard you, you say that you're like, I, I know I'm going to have to deal with this at some point, right? Yeah. Um, something is going to come kind of come home to roost. And, uh, and it just took a little bit of action on your part, even just obviously to write them, right? Obviously to then edit them. Um, but then just that, that really hard, simple, small action of hitting send and then justifying to yourself, I'm hitting send because nothing's yeah. going to happen. They're not going to like it. It's not good enough. All those, all that shit, right. That we experience as, as yeah. creatives, as artists, as writers, as whatever. Um, and, uh, I'm really glad you hit send on that. I'm really glad that, uh, that you were able to overcome that and, and, um, and, and get to, to, to get your work out there and, and, and work on this. Um, what was, um, so yeah, so what was, when, when did you know that you wanted to turn the rest of the journal into a collection? How did that, uh, relationship blossom with, with Keith and Tyler? Um, and, and what was the, what was the process like from getting published in the anthology to, holy shit, I'm a poet now. What do I, what do I do with the rest of this journal? <laughs> Funny thing is, as soon as I clicked send and I've sent and, and I've submitted the, the three poems, I thought, heck, something happened, something occurred, something magical happened and I, I started to to write more i started to really look into this um journal i had and i thought i'm gonna just go for it you know um and then i started to actually post a lot of it on instagram so i thought i had a lot of people that i i looked up to like you know justin egan and leo jenkins and and um david rose people i came across their work i thought i'm gonna try and copy them I'm, I'm going to read into their work and trying to be like them and they they inspired me but i just it was a the tap was open what you know it was it was flowing it was it was a strong current so i thought i'm going to just put out more put everything on on instagram and um another british veteran came across my work and he asked if i wanted to um submit some of my stuff to him so he can self-publish the work and then he had three books it's a series of three books that eventually that he self-published it was a, a collection of british veterans um with some you know stories photos poems and poetry that type of thing um it didn't bother me at all I had, i've got a photo in there and it, it was you know it was published and then it wasn't some time later that i thought i can enough stuff here to actually submit um a manuscript to the Draken Collective, because I went onto the website and I realized they, you know, they publish for, for veterans. But then again, self doubt, thinking, no, nah, they won't publish. I'm, I'm a. It's hard to explain sometimes when I try to tell people, yeah, I'm from South Africa, I'm living in New Zealand, I'm, I'm a British veteran. They won't publish, you know. Again, self doubt. But I thought I've got enough stuff, and then I thought, okay, I want to submit something, and I actually went to go and Google a manuscript because I had no idea what, what it entails, what I need to do to put stuff. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I've got enough stuff. And then again, I had the email good to go. I've got everything. And then I submitted uh, the email to them and uh, yeah, and came back and I got an actual letter that they accepted my manuscript 
And that's where, um, you know, Keith and I work together on, um, on the work. It's, uh, it's really brutal how self, how self doubt will just literally grasp onto any little thing that it can to give you a reason why not to do something, whether it's, you know, the, 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 the intersection of those three identities that you're talking about or whatever it might be for any given person. It's, um, it's great that you're able to recognize it. I don't know if you read Stephen Pressfield at all, uh, the War yeah. of Art, that series. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, the, the the idea of capital R resistance is both an external force and it's also inside of you at the same time, right? And it is evil and malevolent, and it, it is going to find things to pull and bring uh, you down with, and weigh you down with, and make you feel like you can't do something. Um, and a lot of times, that's because you're thinking. You even said it, right? You were thinking about getting published, um, being published instead of just, well, let me just submit first. Let me just have, let me do this this first bit of work that's right in front of me. Instead, we're always thinking about the end state. And that is the thing that's overwhelming to us because, well, of, of course that's overwhelming because we're not there yet. We haven't done any of the work. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was self-doubt, you know, because I always felt comfortable in my in my comfort zone, doing my own thing, staying sticking in my lane. But as soon as I clicked send, that's where all that was the start. And um and I'm grateful for that, you know. But then it, it, it takes a lot of work to get outside the comfort zone to 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 put yourself out there, to put the words out there, to go back and look back into what occurred, you know. Um it was it was difficult. It was really difficult. It was it was it was really hard. Um, okay, so you and Keith, so Dead Reckoning accepts, and and you and Keith dive in. Uh, what did that What did that look like? What did it feel like? Uh, I'm actually interested in logistics because of the time change. Uh, obviously, as we were talking about at the, at the top of the podcast, but um, but also also the 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 relational work, the emotional work, the the professional work that goes into to crafting um, these 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 poems, these stories in, into a collection and into um, into a poetic, uh, narrative art. What, what did that work look like? What did it feel like? How, how'd it go? Well, it was basically submitting my stuff to him. And then, um, it would go over things and we would, um, talk via, um, other, you know, on the phone or email, um, each other back and forth on Google. And then he would have a, a Google document and then we'll highlight a few things, a few changes. And then a few days later, I will have a look at the email and then I would agree or, or not agree or I put my comment in. Okay, we can change this. We should do this. But for me, I was just sitting back thinking, this is amazing. I've got someone here that's invested their time and energy uh, uh, into this. And and, and I, I'm here to learn and um, went through it. It was quite difficult because um, it would submit the um, the email. And then a few days later, I would have a look at it when I, when I can. And then I couldn't just pick up the phone and call him straight away, you know, so I had to wait out to go and make sure the time difference is, 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 is correct. It's, um, it's good. Um, but he was phenomenal. He was, it was great working with, you know, um, being able to share my stuff and, and, and my personal thoughts and feelings is on that, you know, but I thought I'm here to learn. He knows a thing or two. Um, cause he would send something, something through it and he might say, okay, cool. Let's change this title or let's take out these four, um, poems they don't really go with the flow they don't really fit they don't really work they 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 they're good but maybe not for this book maybe for 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 something else we'll come through okay cool let's let's um rewrite the last four stanzas for for this poems change the title yeah um but then at the end when you see the finished product it's 
it's really truly amazing you know um but it was it was a a great experience working with someone that's got the experience that can actually look at your work and say all right let's change this let's let's do this um and i think that was needed um with a, with the previous work that got submitted and they were self-published by um the other british veteran um nothing changed it was just basically okay, well, that's my stuff it will then go into the book which was great it, it was good but for this one it was it was more personal it was um the manuscript that i submitted and keith looked at it and we thought okay cool um the next few poems we can take out and we selected ones that we thought will be suitable for the book that they, they go with a title um that's got a good flow to it but anyway yeah, it was great working with um with Keith um, on the book, on the manuscript. Was there anything, um, um, anything that you, um, was there, was there, was there an arc to it that you didn't see that, that, that he saw or, or were you kind of like pretty much on the same page in, in terms of, of how it was um, broken out into, into sections and what poems go into what sections. And you mentioned titles, right? Like you were changing some titles, yeah. adding some titles, removing some titles and things like that. Was it, was it pretty uh, just like a seamless process between the two of you, or were, were there any sort of watershed moments where, you know, maybe he saw something that that you didn't see, and and it kind of clicked some things into place for you? Um, I would say with the, with a few poems, that, um, there might have been nothing that that, that definitely was uh, with poems that maybe had the same theme to it, or then we would then then he would see it, and then we would get rid of those, or or change it, or or change because with me I struggle with, with with some titles, you know, and then he thought, okay, cool, let's change this, let's take this one out. But I think ultimately he knew by putting it all together, um, the flow of it, he would he would see it, and 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 I didn't. Um, which again, it was great working with someone that they could look back, look at the bigger picture, because when I would sit there, I would have a look at the one one poem, I think, okay, cool, that's great, I like it, let's put this in, but then. He would see the bigger picture up by stepping back and see, okay, cool, the flow. Okay, they change these, let's put this in the beginning. But then it was, yeah, the two of us together um, thought, okay, cool, let's move this one here and move that one there. Um, what was the experience like for you to, um, sounds like a silly question, but to publish your journal, right? Like your journal was very personal. It was very personal to you and it was something that, you even you even talked about earlier, right? It was something that was sacred to you that you weren't sharing with anybody else. It was only for you. You put it in a shoebox, put it away. What was it like to see that become a published work? Did it did it feel cathartic in any way? Did what was the it just like it kind of it almost like seems like it became official, right? At least from an external perspective. But it's still yours. It's still you. It's still your thoughts and feelings. Like what what is what is that like? A big release, hmm. a big release, something that had to happen, something that I kept in for many years. And um, once it went public, once it, it's out there, it was a big release. Uh, again, it's something that I think it was that was meant to be something I had to to go in and do because um, I kept it all bottled up and it's it wasn't good to to keep it all in. For me, it was a release. It's 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 out there. It's my story. It's what I went through. And however, at the same time, it's it's something that many others have gone through, you know. Um, but yeah, it was a big, a big release. Yeah, um, that's cool. I, I 
am, I am someone in my creative endeavors, I, I like there to be uh, external validation, some sort of official officialness to something, right? Like I've, mm-hmm. I've never journaled um, just to journal. Um, it's always been something where like I, I write a lot, I have written a lot, um, took a break for, for a while um, and have recently just gotten back into it. Um, but it's kind of always with a goal in mind, right? To like to either um, get published or self-publish or, 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 you know, post as a piece of content or post as a blog or, or, or you know, a white paper or something like that. And my job affords me the opportunity to, to do that, um, which, which is great, but I've never, I've never journaled just to journal. Um, and so I'm just curious what that, what that release was like um, to, to, to kind of have something that started as, as a little bit less official and then something that kind of, that truly actually became published. Um, how much interface did you have with American troops in, in Sangin? Um, not much, to be honest. It was only the back end that um, we had more troops flying in because we had this big op going on. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think it was the 82nd Airborne Division. I could be wrong. They came in uh, and also the Royal Marines. We had, uh, it, w- it was after the 20 days that we could actually get out and do patrols. We had this big op. We had to go through all the compounds and do compound clearance, work with the Marines, um, the Royal Marines in the American um, 82nd Airborne Division. Um, but otherwise, not much, not much. The first sort of 20 days was basically just us Brits. Yeah, so I'm curious then, what's the, what has it been like for you to, to, to work with American Publishing Company, work with another American veteran um, as your editor, uh, and then kind of integrate into this online community of, of, of us weird, just stone cold bunch of American weirdos on Instagram and Zoom and all these different places that we've kind of found ourselves coalescing around, you know, whether it's Dead Reckoning Collective or, or PB Abate, whatever it might be. Like, what has that experience been like for you as, um, as a South African who lives in New Zealand, who served in, <laughs> served for England in Afghanistan <laughs> online with Americans? What's, what, what is that kind of, what's that, what's that been like for you? It's been awesome because I mean I always had this dream of going to America. You know, um, I think that was the, that was one of the main reasons I left South Africa was to go to um, to California and go to Venice Beach and and train and work there, live there. You know, um, but I thought at the time again it was it was a bit difficult. So I thought, oh no, I'll I'll pick the easy route, you know, um, and and go to the UK and from the UK go over to into America. You know, but then as you go through life, you know, you, you meet other people you get all these doors and and i and i thought okay i'm gonna join the 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 british army but i always had this fascination with with america and american people and 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 the public and i i think i think it was again meant to be and um and the process and it's it's been amazing meeting all the other um veteran authors you know from this generation from from this era that's been to afghan that's been to iraq you know there's the instant connection um, and and, I can, and then at the same time, I, I met various other other Brits, other British veterans. That, um, that that's been phenomenal. But the the whole process is, um, I, I'm happy then to to talk with them. I'm happy to share work. I'm happy to step outside my comfort zone and 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 take on the challenge and and take the the route that's that's difficult, but eventually I will achieve my objective. You know, it's, it's been great. Yeah. I love the, um, I love the, I love the dynamic, uh, in, in, in our little section of the community, uh, you know, with the, with the humor and, and, um, 
and and it, it, it's 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 so um, it, it's 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 the same but different, right? It's like yeah. it's 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 such a cool uh, such a a cool experience that we've all been able to, um, you know, in past wars, you know, generational wars, at least for us over here in 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 the states, you know, it's it's World War II vets just did not talk about stuff, right? Like they wrote memoirs and they and and books were written about them, and and some of them wrote poetry uh, and then ultimately got published, but it wasn't something that was happening in real time. Same with Korea and same with Vietnam and. Um, and the first desert storm. And then now this group of GWAT veterans is getting together and doing the thing that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, which is share feelings, share perspectives, um, talk smack, do all of the things that we love to do. Um, and, and then just create great work that we're able to then consume and absorb and, and, um, talk about in, in a way that, um, that's very cathartic and very healthy and very, um, just community building. Uh, and so it's, it's been awesome to, to experience that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do, uh, at your, 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 your day job. Um, and I'm actually curious, I should have asked earlier, um, what you were doing right when you did transition. So from that time when you were transitioning out of the military, moving to New Zealand with your wife, um, kind of what you were doing while you were writing, while you were experiencing all of these things. Could you talk us through through that and, and what you do now? And, and I'd like to dive into some of the specifics there. Sure. Um, when I left the military, I transitioned straight into private security. So the transition was smooth. It was easy. You know, it was going from the infantry in the army to private security, where it's basically the same thing. It just, uniform is different. You get better pay, better accommodation, better almost anything. So the transition that was very smooth, um, however, left that and I went and I came to New Zealand. That's where things started to go a bit, a bit different. Um, struggled to to get a job, which eventually I got a job as a um, a security guard, working in the hospital, providing security um, for the the building, the patients, staff, visitors, that type of thing. Um, it was for a private company, and then they would deploy guards to you know. Around, they placed them around the hospital. You know, um, I hated every day because that wasn't me. Uh, um, having to stand there and guard a building, having to go and check the doors at night, make sure that's locked, you know, um, provide security for the patients, for the staff, and, and the visitors. That wasn't me. However, that finished and then transitioned into um, the teaching sector. A position came up. Um, I, I came across a. a, a an ad in, in the paper where um, they, looked, they looked for ex-service personnel. They could conduct programs working with youth, working with high school students. I thought at the time it was something that you had a HQ building and then the schools with their youth, when they come to you, you do various programs with them. You're all ex-defense force. Everyone's seeing off the same song sheet. It's all great. But that wasn't the case. So I got the job and then they, they said, okay, cool. They can post you in the high school, you're going to be like a fully fledged teacher and you're going to run this particular program and your work colleague will do the same in a different high school. And this program, it's a um, service academy program, which is military designed, military based. You um, conduct military drill with the, with the high school students, um, military history, uh, the work on the confidence, work on the key skills, work on their values. And it's a subject that they pick alongside 
all the other subjects, you know, like maths and English and, and history, that type of thing. And then you would have a, a, a portion of the kids that's your at your um, your at risk youth kids that they they've been exposed to your drugs alcohol violence at a young age you know and and then they they struggle to 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 um to engage in class um and then there's a another fraction of kids that want to pick this class this course as a pathway to get into the armed forces or get into fire brigade police that type of thing you know and um now i've been doing that for close to almost a decade now um and it's been it's been phenomenal it's I've, I've grown as a person i've learned so much from these young kids you know what they've gone through um it's it's been amazing it's been great um but with the writing that only occurred in was it 2019 and and um, i would say the, the writing was done late at night or, or early morning and during the daytime you know, um, I, I had this opportunity to to lead these these kids and and had the opportunity to, to learn from them. Um, but it's been a it's been amazing running these programs for um, for the youth of New Zealand or, or these groups. And again, it was different age groups as well that I had to to look after. And then when they range from uh, the age of fourteen all the way to eighteen, uh, different backgrounds. And I've been doing that in, um, I think, three different schools now. Where I'm in the in, in the the school I'm now um, working in. So I'm working now for them. I'm not working for the other company anymore, but I'm doing the same thing uh, once a week. Where I've got the service academy program or this group of 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 students, and um, and they can use that as pathway to get into the defence force, or it could be a, a way of learning more about life, uh, learning more life skills, working together as a as a team yeah i was going to ask how many how many um ultimately go off to to choose you know an enlistment or or a commission uh is it is it a lot is it is it a lot it's or just, is it no no it's just no. it's, it's a very small number i had one student um that started his basic training this year that's um that's been accepted into the new zealand defense force into the engineers i think um the remainder um i know that they won't but them for them it's it's a way off just getting outside the comfort zone, engaged within school and, and work together as a team. Yeah. But also gets at what, like what dead reckoning's mission is, right. Which is to bridge the civilian military divide through, you know, through, through literature specifically for dead reckoning, but the program like yeah. the one that you're, that you're running is a great opportunity for, for kids to just understand, right. Like I've got a daughter, um, she's three, um, and I've thought like, I've thought to myself, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's going to be no mandate for her to, to join the military or play a sport or do whatever. She's just going to explore her life um, along the path that, that unfolds before her. Um, but one thing I have thought quite a bit about is like, well, you, it's going to be important to have a sense of military history, a sense of service, a sense of like what military and first responders do, uh, what they do well, what mistakes have been made, just the, the, the whole truth, but nothing but the truth, right? Like, so that you can kind yeah. of have that, that foundation that, that citizenship is built upon, you know, if, if you, if you live in a Western democracy, um, you know, your, your citizenship is, is paid for um by by folks who serve in that capacity and so people who want to great people who don't want to that's great too but having that 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 knowledge base that foundational kind of understanding as a citizen i think is super important i totally yeah and i mean um it's 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 important for them because i think a lot of the the, the at-risk youth a lot of them because they've been exposed to drugs and alcohol violence at such a young age and you know, not having that father figure not having that person to, that could lead them and help them you know 
Um, I think that was that was crucial. That was that was great to have them on that program. Um, even knowing that they won't be going to the defense force, knowing that they won't want to go in police force, you know, because but then as soon as you you meet these students or these young kids and, they, and, he, and then you can show them listen yeah you do have a choice you don't have to go down this path you can go through this path you know i'm here to help you you build up this relationship with the kids and you could see the the brick wall that i've constructed you know this fake persona this this yeah i'm a big boy starts breaking down you get to know them you know and that's and then the whole demeanor change you know i had kids uh, uh, where they would go to school but they weren't go to any other class except mine and i thought mm. i got you know um, and i would see the change within these students um it's it's been amazing you know and still to this time i've got kids that i that i that i had on my program that they would see me in, in town and then they've got kids they've got babies in prams they've come over to me and saying hey staff johnson how's it going all that so you don't have to call me staff anymore it's this name <laughs> but then they still show the mutual uh respect you know um and i i thought that was great you know because because I know know what it feels like when you go to area and you don't have that leadership or you or you don't have that person you can look up to, you know. And um, it was, I think, for me, it was it was crucial to to give back to them and 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 help them where otherwise they will fall through the cracks and they will be missed. Um, so for me, it was it, it was great. But at the same time, I went through this transition of yeah, being in the in the military, then going over to private security, and then. Only years later, I went through this horrible transition of what do I do now? You know, how do I deal with these things? Because I'm putting thoughts and feelings on paper. And then all of a sudden, I've got these uh, memories rushing back and and think, oh, shit, now I have to deal with this. You know, and I've got a family. I've got three kids. I've got a wife. I've got a job. And then I'm writing and I'm putting all these thoughts on paper and everything is just rushing back. And I thought, okay, cool. Here it is. I, I knew that I had to deal with it. I, I had no idea when, and boom, everything happens at the same time. Uh, and then I had to sit there and deal with that, and then uh, be a leader for these kids, be a leader for my for my family, and and my wife and I work together as a as a team to to raise our kids to to make it a, a good safe environment. And then everything happens at the same time. But I think with writing, it ultimately saved me. It it it, it saved me when I thought nothing else could. Um, it was a release. It was, it was the, the difficult route to take, to, um, for me. And it's something I had to to go and do. Um, otherwise, who knows what might have happened? Yeah, take the difficult path. Um, is 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 almost always the answer. Um, what resonated with what you just said to me is that I I often feel like. Um, and I struggled with this in my transition out of, of the military. And when I got out of college, uh, trying to pursue a career in, in, um, entertainment production, uh, mm. filmmaking, advertising, um, freelancing was really difficult. I was waiting tables, attending bar, uh, you know, being a productive member of society, um, w working in a service job, being social, making cash. Like these are all good things. Um, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do as a means to an end. Um, and the difficult thing about freelancing to try to find opportunities in the industry um, was that they were just so few and far between. Um, mm -hmm. And so whenever you got one opportunity, you got to work a day or two or a week if you're lucky. And then 
and then dries up and you're, you're, you're back to, you know, waiting tables and tending bar and looking for the next gig. You don't ever get to put reps back to back to back to back to back. Um, yeah. And I always had this, I remember I was like, at the time I wanted to be a, a film director, video director. I produce mainly now, although I, I still do some directing, but I remember telling my, my wife, uh, I think we were engaged at the time. She's my fiance at the time. I remember saying like, it's really hard. I don't get to do my job every day. I only get to do my job a few times a year. Uh, because I'm trying to get those opportunities. And so then I wouldn't write and then I wasn't being creative and I wasn't creating my own opportunities because it just, everything was just kind of that. It was just, wasn't there. But mm -hmm. now that I'm busier with more responsibility as a husband, as a father, um, as a leader of my you know team, I, I lead a department at my, at my company. And then I have these other creative projects that I'm working on this podcast and films that I'm making on the side and the writing that I'm doing. <laughs> more productive at all of those things when they're all on my plate because I'm able to kind of compartmentalize them and put them in yeah. the compartment that they need to be in. And then I can devote the time that I need to, to each one. Um, I've always found that to be a much more efficient, much easier way to work than having less to do and having less responsibility. I totally, I mean, same here thing is I've got so much going on, um, but then being at work, being with these students, and at the same time, giving because um, I always um, I also do a, a in that department where it's to do with and a careers advice, helping them on their pathway when they leave school, all that. So I give guidance or I give help on that. And then I've got the civil academy course once a week, and then I've got my job at home, you know, with my kids, taking them to sport, picking them up, and then helping them and guiding them, and them looking up to me. Um, and then I've got to find uh, time for me as well. And I think that's where the writing process comes in, you know. So I've got this, this, all these, these different sections, these, these different activities going on and trying to, to, to juggle that. And then having to give enough for my kids. Um, but yeah, everything happening at the same time, you know, it's, it's full speed, but yeah, it's it, when the, it's the, the writing that I can sit back and, and do it for me. Yeah. Um, Amazing. So to wrap things up, I'd love to ask uh, ask kind of a bit of an open-ended question that I've started asking. Is there anything in particular that's on, on your heart or on your mind uh, when it comes to you know, veteran entrepreneurship or, or, or in, in, you know, in, in your case, you know, creativity uh, and, and the arts for, for, for veterans or, or just in general right now that, that you feel is something you wanted to, to talk about? Um, yeah, I would say the thing is if... When it comes to dealing with 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 you know things that we've been through, is to find an outlet that you can just deal with it. You know whether it be uh, the art, whether it be sport. You know, is to is just to instead of ignoring it, you know, uh, to actually go in and suss it out and and work at it and find out what it is that I can do to to help me along the way. And I think for me it was the arts. It was it, it was writing, but whether it be um, sport. Um, whatever the, the avenue is to actually just deal with it and, 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 and not ignore it and talk about it. I would say that's the key. Yeah, that's a great answer. It's a, it's an evergreen answer. It's a timeless answer. Do not mm -hmm. ignore it. Uh, it will, um, it will surface. Um, and if you, if you voluntarily surface it through a productive outlet, um, the outcome will be better. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate your time um, and and uh, and contribution um, and uh, and friendship. 
we've gotten to know each other pretty well, which is which is fun, and hope hope that continues as well. Where can where can folks find you? Where can they find the book? Uh, we'll obviously put everything in the show notes and link everything out on Instagram. Uh, but where can folks find you? So they can find me on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, the book is available on Dead Reckon Collective's um, website on their page and also on Amazon or, or anywhere you can find a good place to to order a book. It's all there. The the, the details um, yeah, will be on the website. Awesome. Well, Neville, thank you so much. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And I thank you for the friendship and just thank you for um, yeah, reaching out. And yeah, I really enjoy the chat and enjoy the, the friendship. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. Cheers. All right, bye.